Lecture number five, Missiology. Hello, this is Dr. David J. Singleton, your professor, with part five of six for A109-B112 Missiology. I can be reached at globalassignment at yahoo.com or call 585-509-0455. In this lecture, and in conjunction with your required reading, number one, name one key foundational trait that should be found in the life of every believer and planter. Two, share what is the benefit of this quality in the life of the planter. Number three, name one reason Paul wanted to plant a church in the scriptures. Number four, name an essential element in the church planting process. Number five, name two methodologies for planting a church. Number six, to plant a church, you must get out among, and there's a blank that you need to fill in. And then number seven, name a tool that could be helpful in learning about the people of that area for planting a church. One of the key things that should be the foundation of every believer's life, and especially church planters and leaders, is godly character. It is the character of God that qualifies you to lead. It will work favorably to have skills and competence in a host of areas, and you should endeavor to always increase your knowledge base. In fact, I commonly say it is giving God more to work with. It's like taking the talent that God has given you and gaining more. But more important than knowledge, skill, or experience with leading people or planning churches, a godly character is essential. Many times, people can work with you even though you don't know, and they know you don't know certain things. But because you can be trusted, because you are a person of your word, and have an upstanding character that glorifies God, the people will be more inclined to go through the learning process with you rather than without you. Why then do we desire to plant a church? When we look at the Apostle Paul, we find that Paul wanted to spread the gospel, to please God, to tell people what they needed to hear, and he wanted to serve God himself. Since God has called us to righteous and holy living, I firmly believe that God deserves nothing less than your best. Therefore, since God's record is impeccable, we do well to aim to have an impeccable record at least as best we can. Additionally, he is faithful and he alone will pay. We then ought to set ourselves to be faithful. Notice these passages. They're in Proverbs 15.3. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, 
beholding the evil and the good. Or if we look at Matthew 16, 27, for the son of man shall come in the glory of his father with his angels and then he shall reward every man according to his works. Let's look at some methodologies for church planting. The first thing that must be done to begin the church planting process is the prerequisite of earnest prayer. I firmly believe and declare that the greater moves of God comes on the heels of prayer. This is an essential component of the process that cannot be overlooked if we intend to honor and glorify God. Through prayer, we invite God into the process. We seek and surrender to his direction on this most God-honoring endeavor. Through prayer, we recognize and communicate to God that it is not in us to do this. It is not of ourselves that a church will come forth. No, we need divine intervention to experience the manifestation of a New Testament church that will please God. You must get out among the people. You must network and communicate that you intend to plant a church. It is suggested that a house-to-house survey could be helpful. With this survey as a tool, you may ask some key questions that people can simply check a box or give a brief answer. By getting some basic information, this can help you on how to approach the people in this area. In addition to a survey, one method that has been used to start a new church is the Bible study method. This is where you introduce yourself as a Bible teacher available to lead a Bible study group. It is important that you have at least a few people to start with. In this early stage of the process, you want to draw the people in and include them in understanding how this group will move forward. Remember, your goal is a self-governing indigenous church. Many times, the place where you meet is not as important as the fact that you meet. Meetings can be held in a house, a public place, open space, or a public building. Yes, they can be held inside or outside. In selecting where to meet, it is best if the local or if the location is central to the persons you're expecting to attend. Since you want to allow your group to make some of the decisions on how things will happen, it is also suggested that you give information or drop a hint for them to consider, but let the group decide some things such as the time you will meet, the place to meet, and the day these meetings will take place. Aiming to reach adults and teaching them while encouraging the adults to teach their children can prove very effective. Also, Evening sessions and weekends have proven to be more successful 
than any other times during the week. Additionally, weekly meetings have shown more promise than nightly meetings. Even though you have so much you know and could teach and you may want to teach, it is important to remember too much, too fast is not good. These are persons many times who themselves may not know much Bible at all. And because we've been engineered from the factory to learn by repetition, sometimes it's important to say again something you may have said before with slightly a different set of words. And uh, you want to be careful that you don't overload these new persons, these hungry persons with so much information kind of inundating them with your knowledge and as a result they lose and really don't gain much out of it. So you want to be careful not to give them too much too fast because it is counterproductive to your overall objective. Now, as a church planter, you must know the state of your flock. Some questions to consider in your survey might be, what is their background? Do they have a general knowledge about what you're saying? Do they believe what you are teaching? And are they saved? These can be important questions because uh, they govern or may govern how much and how fast you're able to share. As you teach the Bible, it helps if you consider your audience and use language and illustrations that they can relate to. You know, sometime around the church, there's certain lingo that's commonly used. And if we're not careful and we're endeavoring to plan a church, we can use some of that same language that's so common that everybody knows what you mean when you say certain things and certain idioms are shared and, and everybody's right on point. But when you're in the field and when you're reaching out to new people who have not hung out at the church, perhaps they may not have a clue of what you're talking about. And so when you're planning a church, be careful to use language that the group you're speaking to understand. Make sure they're getting a good understanding of what you are teaching. And one of the ways to, to identify whether or not they're able to understand and they're really catching the information that you're imparting is to have them regurgitate the information to you again. So that might be done in laying out particular scenarios and let them speak on it. It may be by asking questions and let them answer or you might actually want them to say back to you what you just said. And there may be a host of other ways to approach this as well. But it is important that they get it. Each one's understanding should be fruitful. Now, one hour in a Bible study session is enough. And always start on time. This is important. Because in the process, you teach people consistency and faithfulness to your word. They get to see that you are there and ready to start at the agreed upon time. 
they must see this as well as hear about this. Now, this will require personal discipline on your part when the temptation comes to keep going and everybody seems to be enjoying the session, even though certain sessions may be real, real good. It's important that you be consistent. It is better that each one leaves wanting to stay and wanting more than that you should stay when the people really want to leave. You see, if because the session is just exceptionally good and everybody's on board and you continue to go, what happens for many is they move into a flow where they kind of ignore their end time. And it will not be that much fun and that enjoyable and everybody will not be on board as much on every session. And what will happen ultimately is you will have people that won't come because they'll say they don't get out on time. And they're not the kind of person who wants to leave out of the middle of a session. Neither do they want to look bad by removing themselves as if they didn't want to be there. And inadvertently, you can hinder people from coming being a part of your study. But when they know that you are consistent, your word can be trusted. Then they can plan around the Bible study because you honor your word. Further, this is one of the ways your character is demonstrated to the group. They're able to see that what you said is what you meant. Now, preparing to teach. There is a great value in preparing to teach. In each session, share what your study will be about and began to teach the lesson. Each lesson should build upon the previous lesson. In fact, many times it is helpful to do a bit of review for the purpose of continuity in light of what you're going to teach. No, nothing will take the place of or have the value of scripture in teaching. It is imperative that the lessons are based on the word of God and not on what might be considered common beliefs and opinions. If you are teaching a group that is unsaved, it might help to start in the gospel of John. Let the folk know that you are not there to argue or debate and this should be demonstrated on how you teach and how you respond to others in the lesson. If a question comes up that would be better to be answered at another time, then give the person directions on how you may be able to help them later and perhaps elsewhere. Remember, this is not about your church, your denomination, your personal philosophy, or your organization. No, because it is not about any of those things, your part is to sow the seed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news. It may be helpful to have some Bibles of the same version so that as the scriptures are read, everyone is reading the same thing. Also, you may bring lessons that will aid you in sharing the counsel of God's word. 
encourage them to spend time reviewing the lesson between sessions and to pray that God will give good understanding of his word. It is suggested and advised that you use an indirect leadership style in the beginning, which can be very, very helpful. By utilizing an indirect leadership style, it helps each individual uh, get involved. It invites them and allows them to get involved. Some who may be a little more shy than others because you aren't taking up all the time yourself. They may actually get to say something and began to blossom and bloom right there in your Bible studies. Through this approach, certain leadership qualities from the people in your group will become increasingly evident. You then can watch the Holy Spirit raise up people who will show you, uh, who he will show you that can become some of your new leaders. Because your goal is a self-governing, self-supporting, and self-propagating church, it will help the planter to simply guide the sessions, not talk through the whole session. Now, I'm sure there's a lot you as a church planter could say. And this is good that you can say a lot. However, as you desire to develop the people God has given into this work, it necessitates that they have opportunity for expression. Let's look at an approach that has shown some promise. Number one, tell the people your name and introduce yourself as a Bible teacher. Number two, let them know your purpose, which is to share God's word, the Bible. Number three, be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Use either the chronological or the gospel seed approach. If starting in the New Testament, you can begin with John 3, maybe 1 through 18. The account about this man who really wanted to know the truth. Number four, after each session, ask the people if they would like to continue the same time and place next week. Number five, after a few sessions, you can begin to introduce some simple yet purposeful songs. Number six, new material should be used, perhaps some you, the church planter, will develop. Some of the foundational things you want to make sure you help the people get is a good understanding about one, sin, two, repentance, three, forgiveness, and without doubt, faith. Number seven, since a number of these persons in your group may not be saved, after several sessions, maybe by the end of the seventh session, and as the Holy Spirit leads, you can invite the people to accept Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Once the people accept the invitation, number eight, once the people accept the invitation to make Jesus Lord of their life, you may lead them in a prayer for salvation. This may need to be followed by some counsel 
and prayer. Number nine, each person should be instructed to develop a healthy prayer life. Therefore, you can encourage them to pray prayers of thanksgiving and pray for one another daily. Number 10. Some say that around the eighth week, someone in the group should lead the study. The planter should make sure they have material to share in line with where the planter is taking the group. You may have one or more persons from the group that you use to teach some of your lessons. And within three to four months, this Bible study group can become a church. It is imperative that the people demonstrate a truly converted life and are baptized unless they are truly converted with evidence of their conversion they will not be candidates for baptism the candidate is the person that or the planter is the person that should do the first baptism in this new church plant once they have met the prerequisites then explain to them what the privileges are as well as the responsibilities. Remember, uh, remind them of your objective to plant a self-governing, self-supporting, self-propagating church and you continue to teach basic Bible doctrine. The Bible study has only become a church when, number one, Sinners accept by faith salvation through Jesus Christ alone. Number two, are walking in Christ-like character. And number three, they are now self-supporting and self-propagating. Let's look at another methodology, which is crusade evangelism. Crusade evangelism is another very popular strategy for planting churches. Many times in evangelistic crusades, tens, hundreds, and even thousands may give their life to Jesus Christ in these crusades. Therefore, in crusade evangelism, much prayer must go into these great gatherings along with much planning. Many times it will require a lot of people, because so many things have to be done. It is then critical that the right group of people are assembled to comprise the teams. Because the crusade approach is so dynamic and encompassing, it will require many people to make up a lead team and support teams, such as planning teams, altar teams, prayer teams, intercessory teams, a team to reach out to other churches, counseling teams, communication teams, correspondence teams. Also, uh, there will be some who will get the reservations for a large facility or a large open area. Those who will work with amplification equipment, lights, setup teams, sound teams, camera teams, and a host of other people and logistics have to be worked out in these major 
evangelistic crusades. Many times large crusades require lots of money. And although it costs a lot of money, the money spent is used for one of the best purposes under heaven, which is ushering souls into the kingdom of the resurrected Christ through the powerful and redeeming name of Jesus. It is critically essential that the message of the cross is contextualized and appropriate for the people to whom you are speaking. When the meetings have all been bathed in prayer and the word of the Lord has been declared, signs and wonders should follow. The word declares in Mark sixteen twenty, and they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them. And confirming the word with signs following. Amen. Hallelujah. Beyond ushering the babies into the kingdom of God. There is a need for the nurturing of these new babies. Therefore time, energy and prayer should be directed. Not only for many souls to come to Jesus. But that the fruit remain as well. Much of this is accomplished by ongoing nurturing and nourishing through the word and fellowship. This piece cannot be underestimated because the people that gave their life to Christ are just babies and commonly babies need help. In fact, I submit this is one of the areas, whether one is planting a church or they're part of an established church, this is one of the areas where I believe the church has dropped the ball. Because sometimes we have been good at making babies or reaching folk and they submitting and, and requesting and asking for the Lord Jesus to come into their lives. They're surrendering themselves to him. And many times we say, hey, well, you come on back to church, baby. You come on, son, and, and what have you. And babies are not able to do that. And there is a need, I believe, for the body of Christ to very purposefully walk people through the process. We bring them with us, just like in the natural. There's no human baby I've learned of yet, which was born in the hospital and came home by themselves. No, someone always brings that baby home or wherever the baby will go when it leaves the hospital. They leave generally with a responsible, conscientious, able-bodied adult. And, and so must it be in the body of Christ that we must get these babies ourselves. They're not going to just come and follow us as much as we would like that to happen. No, we must get them, we must nurture them, and we must nourish them in the things of God that they may grow up and later themselves reproduce after their kind to the glory of our God. So then what is one part of the process toward the remaining fruit? I submit it is good follow-up. To do this, you will need many key people to recognize that although the event may be over, the ministry to the persons which have come is not. In other words, just because the band has played, the praise team has already sung their last song for the event. 
The ushers have done the directing and assisted the people. And the preacher has already shared the word and is now gone. That doesn't mean the season for harvest is over. Because there are usually a host of people that desire additional ministry to their lives. Many who have gotten blessed at the service and wished it was not over. Some of these people wonder, where do I go from here? Or what now? The old adage is, strike while the iron is hot or get while the getting is good. This means to follow up on the people while the word is still fresh in their heart. Build on the momentum that has begun and has been established. It is while people are still stirred about what they recently received in their life that the response to the word will be the greatest. Because this time is so important, this piece needs to be planned early and a bank of people recruited and trained for connecting with the people beyond the crusade. These are some of those persons that will be instrumental in helping the harvest get plugged in to churches that have demonstrated a real concern for the lost in this area by being a part of the crusade in some way or another. Unless these new babies get plugged into a church or with a group that can favorably factor into their spiritual growth and development, they will most likely return to the former lifestyles that did not honor God. Therefore, I encourage each one, as you reach out and endeavor to plan a church, you come alongside of a crusade team, and you may not per se have just thought to plant a church, but easily you could be part of some evangelistic outreach that's done, some major crusade and in, in the United States, there's the Billy Graham Crusades and there's other crusades and around the globe, there's many crusades. And sometimes you have tens of thousands of people, even hundreds of thousands of people that attend. And many of these souls will not only accept Christ at that time, but given the right environment, given the aid that's needed, they will continue on and themselves be persons that God will raise up for his glory, that God will use in the days ahead. You know, it's good sometime even to have the pen pals going on and to uh, have the prayer partnering going on and even what some will call saint to saint ministry going on. And so I just encourage you today as you have a heart for the things of God, don't ever look back. You keep moving forward. You keep your eyes on the prize and be not dissuaded. Though things may not happen as quick as you think they should or as quick as you thought they would have, you follow faithfully after the leading of the Holy Spirit and the counsel of God's word and let God bring the increase that only he the giver of life and the sustainer of the same can give. Now, just changing a bit, I want to talk to you a little bit about uh, 
establishing a church in terms of legal requirements, in terms of the law or the state. Uh, and the things that I will say will primarily deal with establishing a church in the United States. Now, a church can be established in the United States without some of these things. However, if it's going to uh, meet certain requirements, then these things you may want to consider. In fact, because our time is brief, some of this I will have to forego to lecture six, where I will deal with it more extensively. But I will say this, in establishing a church in the United States of America, and without doubt, the United States of America, in my opinion, would not hurt at all to have a Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church started in most cities, in most towns, and in most rural areas, there's a need for the counsel of the word of God to be shared. And I firmly believe that the harvest is so plentiful and we, the body of Christ, do well to look with expectation for souls coming into the kingdom and God using us as the conduit whereby they will be brought in. So, number one. If you're going to establish a church in the United States, one of the things you'll need to do is you need to identify the name. The name of the church needs to be identified. What is it that you will call yourself? Now, in identifying the name, uh, whatever you come up with doesn't mean you can keep it. And the reason it doesn't mean you can keep it is because there are many across your state which may have either an identical name or a name very similar. So a search has to be done to see if that name will work. You know, it's kind of a sad thing when a church has a name and they've uh, built a following, as it were, and uh, let's say they didn't move to incorporate, and I'll talk more about incorporation in the next lecture. But they, they didn't move to incorporate right away. They just kind of hung their little shingle out and started having their services. And they're going on and they're building a, a, a nice little following. And they uh, are getting pretty well known by that name. And later, they go to incorporate. They've, they've grown a bit now. They've gotten... Uh, some financial reserves and they can afford to get the attorney or to do the legal paperwork that the state requires. And they go to legalize their church under this name and the state says you cannot do it. The county says, nope, we can't give you that name. You say, well, why not? You said, that's the name we've been operating by. They says, okay, that may be the name you've been operating by, but somebody else had that name before you. And because they did, you cannot, we cannot authorize you to operate under that name. Somebody else went through the process prior to you coming. They secured that name for their ministry. Therefore, you're going to have to modify or change your name in order to operate as a church. Well, that could bring a fair measure of 
discontent, you might say, and a fair measure of challenge, especially if one has already established a website and they have already started a bank account and they've done some other things, then by having to change their name, it can cost them monies they otherwise would not have to spend if they would have only known and or done some of the things on the front end that would have preceded solidifying a name for this ministry or for this fellowship. And so uh, I appeal to you today that if you wanted to start a church, have a search done to see if the name that you want to start that church in is a name that is free to be used. The search is relatively simple. And again, we'll talk more about this later, but uh, have the search done. Make sure it's a name that you can use. Um, beyond that, you will certainly need, when you come to, to formally organizing your church, you will need at least three officers. You will need a president, you will need a treasurer, and you will need a secretary. This is required by law. And so, I would advise that as you put your team together, it helps if you get people who are capable and not just people who are willing. Many times around the church, you can find what we refer to as willing workers. And bless God for them. I don't know where we'd be if we didn't have them. In fact, all of us should constitute a willing worker. While at the same time, many times the skill sets are not there in the willing worker to do the task that they have the title for. And when you're starting out, that may be your story. And I'll simply say this. You have to work with who you have. And starting a new church, many times you've got to work with everyone that's breathing. Oh, yes, you've got to use everybody the Lord sends you. Amen. If they can see and, and, and or hear and, you know, have any reasonable level of intelligence, you've got to use anything breathing. But it's important in the early days to let them know that we're looking for, you know, the skill sets to help us do the best job that God can empower us to do on this side of heaven. And so we're all in these roles, perhaps just starting now. And you may not have this role down the road, but we understand this is where we're going. We're going to where we're going to have the persons who have higher skills than us or more. They're more learned in these areas than are we so that we can go to the levels God has ordained for this ministry. If you don't tell people that up front, if you let them think that because you have this position, you're in it for life, you're in it until you fall over, it can hurt you later when there's a need to move, when you have persons who can do accounting and you, you put in a person who really can't do bookkeeping, it can hurt you when you try to tell your bookkeeper, hey, we, we need to let this accountant do this because they understand debits and credits and all this kind of stuff. And uh, if you don't help them to know on the front end, it can cause you trouble on the back end. People can leave your church hurt and beset when it didn't have to happen that way. But you just simply needed to let them know how things would flow. And so I appeal to you in these two things. 
by all means, check out the name early. Check it out. You may want to check the name out before you share it with a lot of people, before you start having a service, if you will. But you, you start, you check that name out. And uh, the God might just give you a name or the name might come as a, a, a compilation of those that you confer with. Uh, your team, your group, or, or some trusted mentor, a counselor that you have, and, and you all come up with a name. Well, whenever that name is thought to be one that you feel you can embrace as the identifying name for this group that we expect will become a church or has perhaps already become a church, by all means, search it out. Make sure it's an acceptable name that can stick to and for your ministry. Again, beyond that, let's make sure as you put people in place, you recognize that changes will come up the road. And so you share that with people. Let them know in the early days that changes will come. There may be some other people in these positions as we go along, but that's all right because we just want to go the way God wants us to go. And I want you to know I appreciate every one of you that's standing up now. I know this is perhaps not what you went to school for or what have you, but if you just hold on and work with me now, after a while your relief will be in and we can move forward. So I encourage these things and um, in, as, as we go to our next lecture, we'll get into a lot of depth in terms of what it is the state requires. We'll even mention about certain um, records that you have to keep and so forth. And I trust that at the conclusion of all of the lectures and the conclusion of this course of missiology, if you're one of those precious persons that God has stirred up to pioneer work. First off, I want to commend you for having the boldness to get up and do it. Alongside of that, I want to remind you that these things can help you in putting it together in a way that will be above reproach in the eyes of the law and in the eyes of the Lord. God bless you. This concludes the lecture number five, Missiology.